0: Hi there, guys, and welcome to the Body Power Mind podcast with me, Adam Robinson. Today, I talk with Kira McGeehan. Now, Kira is a world class middle distance runner. She's represented Ireland in a ton of events, and she talks to me today about how the mindset has adapted and developed her into a better performer. So, without further ado, let's learn, let's apply, let's inspire, let's do it. So today I have Kira McGeehan with us. So Kira is an Irish middle distance runner. Um, she's won medals in all sorts of championships. She's um, won medals in the European Championship, the European Indoor Championships, World Youth Championships, World Junior Championships, and European Junior Championships as well. I mean, Kira, you've um, you've achieved so much so far. I mean, where where did this whole journey start for you?
1: Um, I suppose my journey in athletics started relatively later than maybe some other athletes. I I didn't do athletics as, as a small kid. I only started really in secondary school. But my journey in sport has been since uh, probably since the moment I was born. I've always been competitive and always absolutely loved sport. I grew up playing camogie, which is an Irish sport, and did tap and Irish dancing, absolutely everything that I could do. Um, but it wasn't until I... Went to secondary school. that I started doing athletics competitively, and uh, it all spiraled from there. From my my PE teacher spotting that I was probably a little bit too competitive in PE and should hone that energy into something, and asked me did I want to do the cross country. And um, I eventually got an athletics coach and and had a pretty glistening underage career. So yeah, I'm I'm very grateful to to that PE teacher for spotting that and yeah and kind of bringing me down the athletics route.
0: Yeah, so sort of you, you wouldn't have. Do you think you wouldn't have actually reached where you are now without that PE teacher actually seeing that um, that that value in you?
1: Um, probably quite likely. I suppose I I had been spotted by um, athletics NI in a little talent spotting squad in primary school. I did only two races in primary school and got to go to like a fun day, but nothing really came of that. We had two weekends where our parents brought us up and we kind of did sports day with other kids from other schools and um, and it probably wasn't until I went to secondary school and won the district cross country that I got onto the Northern Irish Talent Academy so yeah I definitely say that teacher gave me the chance to to show my skills and to be spotted and then really be spotted by the the higher up bodies in i in athletics in Northern Ireland which kind of started me on that path and pointed me in the direction of my coach so yeah I'd say like like many kids my PE teacher is somebody that I'm very grateful for
0: that's amazing I mean so so why did you get into running in the first place why not um you know a a different athletic discipline why running
1: um because I didn't have anything else um I (laughs) I grew up in a town where there wasn't an awful lot of other sporting options so in Portaferry um, it's quite a, a remote town at the top of the Arts Peninsula in Northern Ireland. And I played camogie from the moment that I could walk and hold a, hold a stick. I, I was on the... So,
0: so what is camogie? What is that? Okay.
1: Um, I would liken it to uh, a mixture of field hockey and lacrosse. Okay. It's uh, anybody who, hasn't, who isn't aware of what camogie, which is the female version, or hurling, which is the male version is. Should look it up on YouTube, and they'll they'll not feel to be entertained. It's um a hard hitting, fast sport that we play with hurls. Ultimately, they look like sticks of wood, and um, a ball made of leather. We wear helmets because it can be pretty dangerous sometimes. You can get a uh, a clash of the ash about the head if you're not playing carefully. And um and it was my my first love and probably a sport that I love more than athletics even now, and. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, a very, it's a very tough field sport. There's 15 players on the team and 15 players in the opposition. So there's 30 girls on the field at one time. Um, it's played on a field bigger than a soccer and rugby pitch, um, but similar dimensions. And you can score goals and points. And it's a very skillful game. So uh, I grew up playing a sport that was definitely a fine motor sport with hand-eye coordination and managed to to make my living in a very gross motor sport where I only have to use my legs do
0: you think um playing that sport hardened you up as well or have you always been quite tough and strong-minded
1: um I definitely think I do have an innate ability to be the way I am but I I would be foolish if I didn't acknowledge how much I've learned from my experiences before and And I matured so much as a person through playing the sport of camogie and I think it's something that's really vital for for most kids to to get out there and try different sports and in particular to to try individual sports but also to be involved in team sports because you learn so much about yourself about how to work as a team about that discipline about coping with failures and successes um, and disappointments and the happy times and it's um it taught me so much and and I come from a quite a competitive family. Uh, my big sister, Myra, was always the person that I was, I was trying to be, trying to follow her footsteps. I had an aunt who was a fantastic camogie player and she was my idol. And I feel very lucky to have those people within my own family. But definitely camogie taught me so much. It um, taught me about the resilience because I would be out there on some days and give my abs at all and we would still lose. And, and that's really hard to cope with as a kid and it teaches you how to deal with those emotions. And as well, it taught me discipline because we trained a couple of days a week and and especially in a sport like camogie where there's fine motor skills and you're hitting a ball with a stick from your hand, the skills that you have are are really honed whenever you're practicing on your own against a wall. And I learned from a very early age that I got out of the sport what I put in. And it's definitely something that stood to me as, as I've got older, I've realized that it isn't all on the days when you're with your coach. I I have to be disciplined myself, and I've carried on so many of those lessons into my professional athlete career.
0: Yeah, it's quite interesting, really. I, I mean, you um you know when you say kimogi and you just say what it's about, it just sounds like quite a fun sport, you know. Um, but then when you break it down of all these different areas of how it can actually help you, you know, incorporating discipline. Um, working as a team and um coping with um you know loss as well, which is which I think is something that is hard to cope with when you when you're a kid as well. And I think team sports integrates that. Um and when you break this comogue down, I suppose that, you know, even the hand-eye coordination, um, it really it it really sort of resonates of how impactful it, it has been on your career. And you actually touched up on there as well about how um how it got you to work as a team um and although you're you know you do um your athletics where you're running solo um how important is it to still have that sort of team atmosphere even when you're running solo
1: it's so huge i suppose um Kamugi was where i learned my passion for sport and and how to hone that in and it was very simple to have a passion Whenever I identified with my team colours so passionately, my club colours were were blue and gold, and and I would have done anything to help my fellow teammates win, and I would have done anything. I was I nearly I would cry if we lost a game. The frustration I felt and that sheer guttural emotion and um, was huge. And whenever I came to athletics, I felt very lonely. It I didn't have that team aspect that I had before, and. Um, and it was definitely something that I struggled with a bit. And I suppose I was a stranger in the sport. A lot of the my peers came from athletics clubs and they had groups of friends and they had that passion for their club in athletics that I had for my club in the GAA in Camogie. And it took me a while to find my team. And and when I did, I, I discovered that this is what I was missing out in athletics for so long. And... I found my team in Team New Balance Manchester, and it was it was always easy for me to be passionate in athletics because I used, I would I would get into an Irish fest and and you don't have to tell me anything more if I'm wearing the green white and golds then my passion is just lifted tenfold, and that that was an easy thing but the days in between were harder because you only get to wear your Irish fest at a major champ, so I didn't have the same weekly feeling. Of, of team and belonging that I did in the GAA until really I joined Team New Balance Manchester and and I learned how important a team is in in an individual sport as well. I have, I live in a house now. There's only three of us in the house at the minute because two of my teammates have travelled and got stuck where they travelled to, um, because of lockdown. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, but I live in a house right now with Yep, who's a Dutch marathon runner, and Adam Craig, who's a Scottish kind of 10K, stepping up to marathon one day runner. And the days that I find it tough, they get me out the door. And the days that I'm struggling in the sport, the, the challenges that I face whenever I have a bad day, maybe I don't have a good race. I come home and these people aren't just my teammates, they're my friends. And I know that they're behind me every step of the way. And the emotion that they feel and that I feel whenever I see we see one another do well. Like listening to to Johnny Meller get his Olympic qualification time on on the getting ready for Tokyo, which will hopefully still go ahead um next year. I felt so much joy for Johnny, it equals the joy I feel for myself when I do well. And that's something truly special. And whenever you belong to a team who who are as invested in your success as you are in your own success and who whose success you're as invested in as your own, it's something truly special and you really bring each other on. And and it's something that I'm so grateful to have found and, um, and I'm so thankful to have teammates to, like these guys.
0: Yeah, so you're sharing all these moments together almost.
1: Definitely. And in what can be an extremely lonely sport because we are out there on our own, but I know whenever I come back to the house and whenever I shoot a message into the group chat that we travel this journey together and it's a a deep understanding because a lot of people and and I would even include my own family in that don't fully understand the path that I'm on and the challenges I face for a lot of people it seems absolutely amazing and they're like aren't you so lucky you get to to do your sport as a professional it's your full-time job it's what you do every day you just have to run oh you're so lucky Um, and and I know how lucky I am that is for sure but they don't see the challenges that I also face. And, and that, do you know what, I get to the end of the week and I'm not just f- emotionally exhausted because of the, the fatigue that you can go through. I'm physically wrecked and there's days I can't get up and down the stairs without having to put my hands on the stairs and climb it like a bear. And, um, <laughs> and that there, that sheer tiredness and the emotional kind of roller coaster you can go through in sport. I know my teammates understand that completely and it's, a uh, it's a very special bond that we have, and it's one that will last forever.
0: Has your family always been supportive of your running career?
1: Most definitely. I, I've always had a family that have, have pushed every single one of, of my siblings, my cousins, everybody, um, and encouraged them every step of the way. I'm so lucky to have parents that, that really went above and beyond to try to, to help us as much as they could. Like I'm, I don't come from a, from a very loaded family. We, we're not very affluent. But my mummy and daddy would have given anything to help us achieve our goals. Um, whenever I think back to, to media and athletics as a, as a teenager, my mum used to drive home from work. She works in the NHS. She's a podiatrist on a Tuesday. I would get in from school at about half past four and my granny would have made dinner. So I would have had a bit of dinner in my granny's house and parceled up my mummy's dinner and put tinfoil around it. And as soon as my mommy came home, I jumped in the car and she drove me to Belfast. So anybody who knows what Port Ferry is, it's an hour drive from my home to the track in Belfast just over an hour. So my mommy would have come straight from work and turned around again and brought me straight to the track and she ate her dinner while I trained. So our dinner was definitely cold an hour later. She ate her dinner while I trained and then I jumped into the car after and she brought me home. And that was her day she had left for work at eight o'clock that morning and she wouldn't get back in the door until half eight nine that night and you know sometimes whenever you're in that moment you don't fully appreciate the the sacrifices other people make for your dreams Um, but now as an adult I definitely fully appreciate what my mom and dad did to to really help me they gave up their Saturdays to bring me to track training they brought me to races all around the country. I think for a good while our family car would have driven to Tullamore on its own. Um, we were there that often. And and my brothers and sisters as well, because it's it's hard when your sister is demanding that much time off your mum and dad. And I had brothers and sisters that always supported me and, and never made me feel bad because of the commitments that I had to make. I missed birthdays, I missed celebrations even though I, I miss cousins weddings i i miss so many family occasions and my family have always been so so supportive and it's something that's so important because if i didn't have that this journey would have been so much harder and and i really doubt that i would i would be where i am today without all of their help
0: yeah it's amazing to hear you know the the support that you that you get from your family i think <clears throat> It's very, um, I think it's important to remember that, you know, you're only as, you know, you can only go so far by yourself, can't you? I think you need that support structure around you to, to push you further and guide you and help you as well. I think um, even when we do see people, you know, when you said it is quite a lonely um, career, you know, running, it is quite a lonely career when you're by yourself. But I suppose when you have the team behind you and even friends and family who can support you, you um, it's, it's, it's that part where people don't see, isn't it? And it's, it's that what gets you through the day.
1: Most well, certainly, it's, it's all of those things behind the scenes. And, and it's often people that nobody will even realise how crucial they are in my life. Um, like Some people probably wouldn't even know who my coach is. And obviously, he's such an integral part of my team. And I've had Steve as my third coach in my athletics career. I had a fantastic coach as an underage athlete, Eamon Christie, then Jerry Kiernan, whenever I was in Dublin, and Jerry was like a father to me. Whenever I was going through uni, he was he was so supportive of that development in my life, never mind just my athletic career. And then I moved to Manchester and have been coached by Steve, and, and those people play such an integral role. But people wouldn't know the simple things like how my granny helped cook the dinners because my mum was bringing me up to the track, how my granny and grandma bought me my first ever pair of spikes. How my aunt let me live in her house ultimately for a few years of my life, um, in order to help me be able to train in Belfast, stay in her house, and then go to school from there the next day. And these are people that are so important to me, um, and nobody else will really see it. And and it's the it's the friends that I have from home. It's the friends that I have here, and you know it is that kind of old cliche. It takes a village to raise a child. It certainly takes. Uh, a a village a town a country to to raise an elite athlete and I'm so grateful for all of the people along the pathway who've helped me and and to everybody who continues to help
0: yeah yeah that's it isn't it um so I want to jump back now to um your championship so I want to ask you about your very first championship and how you sort of came to win a medal in it how how did that feel when when you did that
1: yeah, I suppose starting to race as a youth. Um, I, I had already raced in Ireland and established myself as, as a decent track runner. Um, my very first championship in an Irish fest was actually a cross-country race, and I didn't do so well <laughs> in that one. So uh, my mind jumps back to that, but I learned so many lessons from those, from those days. But whenever I got onto the track, I, I realized that that's really where my talents lay. And going and racing at youth level, so youth is under 17, was kind of where I start kind of cutting my teeth. And I had already raced um at UK School Games level and really been taking those steps um in that progression towards being a world-level athlete and winning my first silver, silver medal at World Juniors um, and World Youth. And um, yeah, it was something special. I remember um racing in... It was called Sutrol Sutrol. It was in it was kind of in the border between Italy and Switzerland, um, which is quite funny because I'm travelling back to Switzerland for altitude training now and I see it on a map, but it, it makes me think, goodness, that's where a lot of this began. Um and the track was green, which I interpreted as a very good omen. And uh, and yeah, I, I remember going into the race and nobody ever would have given me much of a chance in that race. But I had this naivety about me where I thought I was as good as anybody in the world. A naivety that I really admire now. And I wish I could go back to that because there's <laughs> nothing like the naivety of use. Um, but yeah, I didn't I didn't give a damn what the rest of the girls in the field had ran or where they were from. I towed that line and I said to myself, you're going to sit in and then you're going to kick. So it was an 800 meter race and I sat at the back of the, the field and came through like a train i won silver that day and um, i do remember after talking to a british girl rowena cole who told me her coach actually said watch the irish girl she's a very good racer sit on her which came as a huge compliment to me um
0: Does that boosted you even and- more
1: <laughs> oh definitely to know that somebody watched me and saw that I wasn't just a talent and had the ability to run that I could race as well, which is something that's so important because in athletics, yes, we have world records that are tumbling and there's, there's people who can go out into a diamond league and just run the fastest time in the world. But for me, the beauty of athletics is the race and it's not necessarily always the fastest race that is the most thrilling. And I love being able to get into the thick of it and to be tough and to to roll with the punches and the elbows in a race and to still come out strong and that's that's really where where I love racing and um, those those girls that are running exceptionally fast times some of those times I know that I won't run for example Sifan Hassan's time of 3.51 from the world champs last year that's unrealistic goal for me in my life I'm, I'm pretty sure don't get me wrong I'll continue to strive to try to be the best that I can be but that's a huge jump I love getting into a race where I stand a chance of going out there and racing hard and there's not a rabbit in the front of the feet stretching them all out and I think that's the beauty of sport um so yeah that first championships my first medal on a world stage was something special and coming home to Ireland and being greeted in the airport and given a bunch of flowers and um and and being made extremely special it was huge. I I got off the the ferry boat in Portaferry, uh, greeted by my whole town, and and carted around the town in the top of a car. So uh, <laughs> it was something, <laughs> something very special.
0: Oh wow! So um, so so you you know with that first race you you know you said you went in there with you know complete naivety, <clears throat> and you you know you knew you were, you were the best really really good so you sort of went in there not underestimating yourself but overestimating yourself I guess and I I suppose is that what sort of pushed you through to take on these other these other girls who who you thought weren't as good as you is that what drove you to to get that medal
1: um I suppose it wasn't really a sense of feeling that I was better than the girls it was a little naivety of of not knowing actually how good they were and I never sought out that information. So I didn't really go and look and see how those other girls had raced like some of my counterparts would have done. I kind of just went in and thought, well, I just have to go run. Like, I'm just going to go race. And there's nothing I can do about the girls around me. So I don't really need to know much more about them. Um, I do remember my World Junior Championships in Canada. And so juniors is under 20. So I would have been like 18, 19 at the time. And um, I I knew a little bit more in the sport at that stage. I had been in it slightly longer, was more aware of the athletes from other countries and how good they were. And um, there was a very good American athlete who had been all over the media because she was dubbed the next big thing in America. And her name is Jordan Hasse, and she's now a member of the Oregon Project, which the disbanded Oregon project. I'm not sure what they're calling themselves now. Um, So I was well aware that Jordan Hasse was this superstar in America and that she was this young athlete coming through that they were pinning all their hopes on. So when I told the line, I was like, oh, she's really good. And people had already said to me, like, oh, do you know what? It's absolutely brilliant. You've got into the final. It's just fantastic getting that far and just try to enjoy it. And I distinctly remember thinking to myself, as I towed the line, I'm not happy with just getting here. I'm going to race these girls. And and it's strange because you wouldn't think in the space of four minutes odd running around the track, you have that many thoughts going through your head. But I do remember starting the race and there was a bit of gap between the lead group and me. And I looked up and the, the lead group had a lot of Africans in it, Kenyans and Ethiopians. And we all know the prestige of those nations in middle distance and long distance running so they're given a, a huge respect and Jordan Hasse was in that group and I thought well do you know what everybody tells me that these African athletes are in some way superior but there's another white girl racing with the Africans well I can be there if she can so that was like a little epiphany mid-race to me and I was like well no I'm going to get up to her so I used her as a benchmark And I got to her, I got past her and ended up winning silver at the World Juniors, which was huge because ultimately that gave me uh, a platform really to to go into my senior career with that prestige. It it probably was that performance that got me my New Balance contract at such a young age. And I still had that naivety that I didn't know an awful lot about the, the girls around me. I had a huge respect for them. Do not get me wrong. But it was the naivety and not knowing quite so much about them, um, and maybe a little bit of ignorance. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that belief that sure I can be as good as anybody in the world, and sometimes I do wish that I could, uh, I could get the mindset of of underage Kira back because she uh, she did not think anybody could beat her. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I suppose it's good to um, to have to have a good balance of uh, of both sides, I guess. Um, when you're racing, what goes through your head? You know, mid race, you said you had this epiphany where you want you wanted to win. What what goes through your head in, in all these different races? Mid race, are you just focusing on breathing and getting through the race, or are you are you thinking about other things?
1: Oh goodness, this changes a lot. Um... I'm, sorry, I'm just gonna take a wee drink of tea.
0: Yeah, no problem.
1: It changes a, it changes a lot. Sorry, I got something in my throat. Um so sometimes, and I think if any athletes or, or any sports people maybe are hearing this, sometimes you just are in a race where people talk about the zone and it doesn't happen all the time, and it's it happens quite rarely actually. Sometimes you're you're in a race and you just are in this zone where You think nothing else but that moment, and you're so fully engrossed in it. And it's not really a conscious decision to be there and to feel like that, but something comes together to make you only focus on the task at hand, and you feel everything around you so much more astutely. And it's an amazing feeling because those are quite often the days where you just feel amazing and you're able to lift your performance higher than you have before um other times i'm racing and oh i have to fight my demons in my head so much there could be there could be races that i have to tell the little monkey on my shoulder my my coach is a big believer in the chimp paradox and of i have to tell steve peter's chimp paradox and i have to tell the chimp to get back in its box because the chimp's like ah no this is too hard today yeah, you're hurting a lot here, aren't you? I think you should stop. Look, that's a good place to stop. Just pull over. Just, it, it could happen in a cross country race very easily because I'm I'm over distance in cross country and it's often quite tough, and I have to fight that chimp and really focus on myself, focus on the training that I've done, and and hone in on on taking the race in stages. And um, other times I'm just like so aggressive that I'm just like right, get on that girl and and get to this next point and I. I do a a kind of skill and a little kind of project before races where I write down my plan for the race, and I often break a race into stages, and what I'm going to do at each stage, how I might feel, and I and I lay out different scenarios and how they'll make me feel and what I'll do to in to respond to that scenario, um, which I find extremely useful for the point when I'm in the race that my tri- chimp tries to take over, because. At that point, I can tell it. No, I've made a plan, and don't get me wrong. Come the end, that last one hundred meters, the chimp is out of its box, and you rely on it that sheer aggression and that primal instinct to get to the line first. Um, but yeah, there's so many thoughts that can go through my head in a race, and and after the race, I'll I'll jot those things down because it's all learning experiences. Because some days it's very good, and other days, your mind just Is not with you and it's not helping you and it's pretty destructive in a race and it can be very crushing because you train so hard and then something in your head just is not there that day and and it gives up on you and that's a huge battle because I feel that we all train very similar and a lot of the time the thing that really gets us that final little edge that last percent comes from up above and it's a huge impact on our sport. And if you can learn to hone in on that, it's massive. But I couldn't tell you simply one thing that happens in a race, the thought process. Um, it can change from day to day and it,
0: it changes so much.
1: Oh, definitely. And and it can it changes based on the experience. Like obviously at a world championships, I'm so much more nervous than at uh 5k at a local road race. So there's so many different emotions that come into it and, and yeah, it changes a lot, but it's something that I've really, really practiced because I have to make sure that the majority of the time it's positive because you, if you fail to acknowledge it, then you run the risk of letting it be negative and it having a catastrophic effect on, on your performance. So for anybody out there, be it athletics and racing or a field sport Or it could be something like performing on stage, in singing, music, even at work. If you think at points that your mind veers off and not in a constructive way, take the time to write down the scenarios that might happen in your day and how you'll respond to them because the mind loves having a plan. And if you have a plan, it's so much easier for you to feel in control. And it's something that I've worked on a huge amount over the past few years
0: yeah that's a great point that um i mean we've we've spoke a lot here about the mindset of of an athlete and what goes through your head while you're running um, and you have all these different emotions going on um so cut to the other side of it now i mean how do you switch off from running or i mean do you switch off from running
1: oh i definitely do i am not an athlete that lives sleeps and breathes running every second of the day because i find that really exhausting um, I love having some time out of the sport and I do everything and anything. So I'm, I'm quite into like doing creative things. I love doing some arts and crafts. Um, I'm trying to learn the guitar. I, yeah, what, well, I, I read. I absolutely love talking to my family and nobody else in my family does athletics or isn't involved in athletics in any way. So whenever I speak to them, it's it's a step away from athletics and and believe me they ask me how it's going because look it's what I do and it's my whole my whole day ultimately I I run and I train and I don't do too much else um but I can have conversations with them that don't involve anything to do with athletics and I love that and to be honest in our house despite being in a house full of athletes there's five elite athletes here very little of our conversation revolves around athletics because Maybe people it'll come as a bit of a shock to them, but um, for most people I'm known as the runner, and and we discuss this as uh, particularly some of the girls among the team are maybe more um more aware of it. It's a it's a real sense of that's our identity that we're the runner, but sometimes that can be hard. We want to just be Kira or Yip or Anna, because in the tough times of athletics, if athletics is the only identity we have, then it makes us question who we are. So we love just being ourselves. And I love the fact that my teammate Anna absolutely loves getting out of the house. If Anna's here and she's not here at the moment, she's in um, America, Anna's like, will we go for a coffee? Will we go for a picnic? She loves being out and she's so bubbly and laughing. Yep, Vastenberg, she's currently studying and she's doing a psychology degree. And yet we'll come out with some really interesting stuff in psychology that she's learned that day but she's also an absolute head case and she is hilarious. And she could she could just start laughing in the middle of her room because she had a joke in her head and she thinks this is hilarious or she'll randomly start dancing. And and <laughs> these are all the little quirks of all of my teammates that are them as people and absolutely nothing to do with running. And I love that each of us is ourselves in the house. and And yeah, we'll chat about athletics from time to time, but we tend to park it whenever we go out and we get our training done we're we're completely in the moment and we're fully committed and we do stuff in the house like foam rolling and recovery and we tend to kind of do that together as well like we'll be in the front room watching some tv chilling and we'll foam roll and we'll stretch and that's kind of part of our lives but we also have points in time where if you saw us at any other point you would think we aren't a runner because we're sitting chilling watching netflix and um not much else tells you that we're we're full-time athletes <laughs>
0: <laughs> the, the the behind the scenes of uh, of athletes we've we've heard it all now <laughs> uh,
1: yeah i have a crazy um, a crazy house
0: <laughs> yes so um kira it's it's been um it's been great talking to you today it's been really really good listening to um where you've come from, how you've come to um, win all these medals and the support structure that you've got as well and how important that's been to you. Um, so the last thing I want to ask you here, um, it's one that I ask all my guests. And the question is, what is the most valuable thing you've ever learned in your life?
1: Oh, that is a hard-hitting question. You should have given me this before. I would have had a really deep process <laughs> into it. The most important thing I've ever learned in my life. um. It's probably something that is quite relevant to me right now. I've been finding this lockdown pretty tough at times, um, particularly at the moment, actually, whenever I'm chatting to you. I've had a rough week and just feeling a wee bit down and missing home. And one of the most important things to me is family and friends and the people I hold dear. But a lot of the time, the messages they give me are as simple as this. All you can do is your best. So at times, whenever I'm struggling, I just remember that I can only try to be the best that I can be at this moment in time. And sometimes that means that I'm sad and I have to just compartmentalize little parts of my life and have small tasks. Other times it's me two on the line and reminding myself I want to be here. And all I can do is step out on the track and give it my all and be the best that I can be on that day. And and it's taught me to, to, to deal with the times that I'm disappointed because I Stepped off the track and spoke to Steve. And he and he said, Asked me, Well, did you you give it everything? Was like, Did you try your best today? And I'll say, Yeah, but it wasn't what I wanted, Steve. And he's like, Well, I can ask for no more. That was the day that was in it, Kira. That's all you could give. I can't expect anything more from you, so why should you expect more? And it's such a simple message that my mummy has told me since I was a kid, but quite often those simple messages are the most important. So for me, That's something that I write down in my in my little mind map before I race. Give your best and walk off the track with no regrets.
0: Thank you for listening, guys. If you enjoyed the podcast today, please share it around with your friends and family members and give them the tools to transform their lives as well. I've been Adam Robinson, and this is Body Power Mind.